Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, spiritual home of our Kensington Unitarians community. There's a place for you here. There's a place for you here, whoever you are, however far you have traveled, wherever you're going next, and whoever you choose to travel alongside. Welcome to this morning and to this day and this opportunity to be together in community with all that a community offers. Comfort and irritation, laughter and tears, possibilities and limitations, because all life is here. This Unitarian congregation is a place where we come to learn more about being human. And we're not here because we've figured it all out or have the answer to all of life's questions or we think that we've got it right, no. No, we come here to learn more about being in relationship together, <clears throat> how to listen, how, how to forgive, how to be vulnerable, how to create trust and compassion in one another, for one another. So I invite you now to take a moment to settle ourselves in the here and now, however we do that. Maybe take a breath, just take a quick scan of how we are right now. Maybe lay to one side any niggles or concerns if we can, for, for sure they're going to come back soon enough. But maybe in a slightly different way or with a different perspective. And our chalice flame is lit and it's connecting us with progressive religious communities the world over. So let us move into this time of worship. Let's be willing to be authentic with each other. Let's be honest within ourselves. Let's be open to connection, connection in all its forms. And as this simple chalice flame burns, may it remind us of the warmth that comes from real connection in life, of, of the light that comes from being true to ourselves, and of the inspiration that we can bring to our world when we know ourselves to be accepted, just as we are. So why don't we uh, take, take those issues and many more into a time of reflection and prayer now which is partly um, written to celebrate uh, Fair Trade Fortnight, which is starting this weekend. And uh, my hope that as many of us as possible will keep buying fairly traded products, because I think it really makes a difference. So in this time of quiet reflection, let us be reminded of of the beauty and the fragility of life. Just how precious life on earth is. And this day, emerging from night, with the air that moves in, in waves, in and out of our bodies, that steady pulse of our hearts, and the blood surging through our veins, all these many 
pure and simple gifts of life. Fragile and precious are our lives and fragile and precious the life of this earth. We are bound to one another, to all of humanity by this fragility for we share a common bond with all who live. And surely this common bond calls us to live lives of justice, lives of equity. So I invite you to share with me in giving thanks for the, for the fair trade movement that works tirelessly to create fairer trading arrangements around the world. For all those products that we delight in, our, our chocolate, our coffee and bananas, to mention but a few. Let's remember always our ability to make economic choices that at the very least can assist or hinder people living and working far away from here. And the fragility and preciousness of life, they call us, they call to us to be gentle to ourselves and others as we touch and move through this world. For are we not merely life's custodians and guests? As the softness of the breath of spring, may we bring a gentle awareness to our living. May we seek always to heal and care, to bring justice and beauty to life. And let's remember to attend to our days to be here in the moment. For this is all that we are given. And to hold to yesterday is to miss the possibility of today. We can let old angers and hurts wash away. We can dissolve old stuck patterns. And we can treasure this moment, singular and filled with possibility. So let's take the time in life to cherish what is most dear and precious to us and let us act as agents of justice and love all the days of our lives. Amen. Okay, I've cr created a reading so long that we decided we'd split it into two voices in an attempt to keep us all awake. But I highly commend this to you, and it's a book. We're going to read you an abridged version of a whole book, almost. Uh, and you can buy it, and also you can find the text online. And it was uh, written by somebody called Kim McMillan. And she originally created it as a handmade book for her friends. Kim uh, died suddenly in her 50s, and then her daughter Alison helped publish the book in a printed form as an act of love and remembering. And at the start of this book, which is called When I Loved Myself Enough, um, Kim describes how it was only in midlife that she started to realise the importance of loving herself, all of herself. And, and as she found ways to be more loving and compassionate towards herself, she felt the whole of her life blossoming. 
So these are some of her steps, because we have abridged this, towards greater self-love. And I wonder what yours might be. When I loved myself enough... When I loved myself enough, I came to know my own goodness. When I loved myself enough, I began taking the gift of life seriously and gratefully. When I loved myself enough, I began to know that I was in the right place at the right time and, and I could relax. When I loved myself enough, I felt compelled to slow down, way down, and that has made all the difference. When I loved myself enough, I came to see that I am not special, but I am unique. When I loved myself enough, I redefined success and life became simple. Oh, the pleasure of that. When I loved myself enough, I began to see I didn't have to chase after life. If I'm quiet and hold still, life comes to me. When I loved myself enough, I learned to meet my own needs and not call it selfish. When I loved myself enough, I quit ignoring or tolerating my pain. When I loved myself enough, I started feeling all my feelings, not analysing them, really feeling them. When I do, something amazing happens. Try it, you will see. When I loved myself enough, my heart became so tender that it could welcome joy and sorrow equally. When I loved myself enough, I no longer needed things or people to make me feel safe. When I loved myself enough, I gave up perfectionism, that killer of joy. When I loved myself enough, I could tell the truth about my gifts and my limitations. When I loved myself enough, I quit answering the telephone when I didn't want to talk. <laughs> when I loved myself enough, I could allow my heart to burst wide open and take in the pain of the world. When I loved myself enough, I started picking up litter on the street. When I loved myself enough, I began to see my purpose and gently wean myself from distractions. When I love myself enough, I learn to say no when I want to and yes when I want to. When I love myself enough, I began to feed my hunger for solitude and revel in the inexplicable contentment that is its companion. And when I love myself enough, I could see how funny life is, how funny I am and how funny you are. When I love myself enough, I realise I am never alone. When I loved myself enough, I quit trying to impress my brother. When I loved myself enough, I stopped trying to banish the critical voices from my head. Now I say thank you for your views and they feel heard. End of discussion. When I loved myself enough, I quit trying to be a saviour for others. When I loved myself enough, I lost my fear of speaking my truth, for I have come to see how good it is. When I loved myself enough, I stopped seeking experts and I started living my life. When I loved myself enough, I forgave myself for all the times I thought I wasn't good enough. When I loved myself enough, I began listening to the wisdom of my body. It speaks so clearly through its fatigue, sensitivities, aversions and hungers. When I loved myself enough, I began to taste freedom. And when I loved myself enough, she wrote, I found my voice and wrote this little book. So those are the words of Kim Macmillan. This is a, a reading from Stopping, How to Be Still When You Have to Keep Going, by David Kunst. Stopping is a simple, straightforward technique for doing nothing, for a definite period of time, with the purpose of becoming more awake and remembering who you are, 
so you can live in a more focused and peaceful way. Stopping is written for hurried, harried people looking for calm and spiritual renewal. The author describes three levels of stopping in everyday life. Still points, stopovers and grinding halts. He recommends regular still points with occasional planned longer breaks, stopovers, in order to avoid too many grinding halts. In this chapter, he explores how our bodies sometimes tell us it is time to stop. This is your body talking. Of course, all of us have probably done stopovers many times in our lives, but instead of the stopovers being a conscious choice, they were the result of getting sick. Sickness is often the body's way of telling us and of getting us to stop when our minds and hearts are so overwhelmed by the challenge of too much that they can no longer get the job done. Not all sickness is this sort, of course, but too much of it is. A sickness-induced stopover is the body's way of saying, if you're not going to stop yourself, I will have to force you to stop, and then clobbering you over the head, metaphysically, metaphorically. <laughs> Our bodies speak to us in many different ways. Learning to read your body's language before you become sick is an important result of the cognitive efforts of stopping and caring for yourself. You will notice the patterns of sickness and identify the various parts of your body that pain you. Stopping encourages you to ask body questions. What is this backache telling me? Am I carrying something I don't need or want to carry? Why am I always getting a sore throat and cough? Do I want to voice something that gets stuck in my throat? Answers to these kinds of questions, even the questions themselves, come in the silence of stopping, which allows us to notice our current state of health and thus attend to it. I think one of the ways that lots of us take a break is by listening to music, isn't it? So we've got a really lovely piece, an ode to music now to listen to, written by Franz Schubert. And I know this is John's favourite song, so if I do you tell him about singing the hymn song? We'll keep the recording
Let's take the beauty of that song now into a time of meditation and stillness. Um, there'll be a, a short spoken meditation um, with some thoughts to think if you want, but um, as a Unitarian community, you are more than free to think your own thoughts on anything we suggest to you. And then that'll lead into a good few minutes of silence together and that comes to an end with a chime from our bell. So do whatever works best for you to be comfy where you are in these chairs. Maybe aware of your feet resting on the ground and perhaps putting down anything you don't want to hold on to. And softening your gaze or focusing on the candles or closing your eyes, whatever works best for you. Aware of, of the sounds that there always are in any gathering, even when we're trying to be quiet and sounds out on the streets and yet able to turn inwards for a while and as we turn inwards I invite to, us to take with us some words from Alan Watts about this issue of the relationship with the self Alan Watts writes every intelligent individual wants to know what makes them tick and yet is at once fascinated and frustrated by the fact that oneself is the most difficult of all things to know. And so I invite you to think perhaps of some aspects of yourself that you are only now starting to understand however long you've been here on planet Earth, is there something that you are still just starting to understand? Perhaps about what your needs are or some of your motivations. And are there things about yourself that you thought you knew, but now you're changing your mind? That you're not quite how you were? And if there was, just one thing about yourself that you could understand better. I wonder what that might be. What would you seek to understand better in life? Let's take that thorny question into a time of stillness.
It's, um, it's March the 1st, and we're starting a new monthly ministry theme in our activities here at Essex Church. This month's theme is Self and Other, and it raises the question of, well, who are we anyway? Have you noticed in, uh, in our society who we are? It's, it's started to have an almost obsessive quality about it these days, a, a, a terrible importance. Have you tried to open a bank account recently and, uh, or, or apply for a passport? It's not very easy anymore. And if we try to deal with our bank accounts, clerks ask us special questions, the answers to which only we should know. Mother's maiden name, name of our first pet, or first school, and heaven help you if you've forgotten that vital bit of identifying information. But th these concerns about identity, I reckon, are probably as old as the hills. They've just taken a new spin in a digital age. There is a, a lovely story about the Sufi holy fool Mullah Nasruddin, a story originally told in the 13th century Persia, though I'm telling it here in a modern version written by Peter Hawkins because it involves a bank. Um, so it said that Mullah Nasruddin went into a bank that he did not usually frequent, and he asked to withdraw a large sum of money from his account. The bank clerk was naturally a bit suspicious and asked him politely, um, do you have any means of identifying yourself? Nasruddin is famous for having a cloak with very long pockets, so he reached down into one of the very long pockets of his very long cloak, and he found a, an ornate hand mirror. He held the mirror up, and he looked studiously into it, and then he exclaimed to the bank clerk, mm, yep, that's me all right. <laughs> So he's playing, isn't he, Nasruddin? He's playing with the idea that when it comes to our identity, ultimately, it's really us who decide who we are. And yet, don't many of us struggle to understand ourselves at times? Our relationships with ourselves, oof, they are complex and multi-layered often. Inter relationships that kind of intertwine if, if you're anything like me, a kind of love and a loathing uh, mixed in perhaps with both an over-concern about myself and then a complete indifference. Many of us live lives that, that we know to be fortunate and yet we do struggle, I think, some of us, to live harmoniously and at ease with who we are. I meet too many people who don't seem to like themselves all that much or or at least who don't treat themselves with what I think the kindness that they deserve. And no, no doubt we've all met a few people and could name them now if we were asked to. We've met those few people who like themselves a bit too much and annoy us all greatly. And don't many of us spend a fair amount of time concerned about how we're doing or trying to understand ourselves just a bit more clearly? Why on earth did I just say that or do that or da-da-da? Um, we use some words from Alan Watts' book, the brilliantly titled, The Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are. We used those words for our meditation earlier. Alan Watts did a great job of bringing Eastern philosophy to the West. He wrote in that book that every intelligent individual wants to know what makes them tick and yet is at once fascinated and frustrated by the fact that oneself is the most difficult of all things to know. 
Eastern philosophies often bring a useful shrug of the shoulders, I think, to any obsession about who we are and why we are as we are. A reminder that our small self is, surprise, surprise, obsessed with self. And that we have to wake up to a, being part of a much greater existence than simply ourselves. Part of all that is. Constantly moving, constantly changing. A flow of existence in which we just pay our small part. So self-exploration has long been part of the human condition. But also I think we need to remember that that is not the case in every society. I think we have to remember that this kind of exploration and development of the self is a primarily Western and primarily modern pursuit. Now, I reckon it's a valid and worthy pursuit, but for much of human history and for much of humanity even today, an overemphasis on the self, on the individual, would be seen as potentially harmful to the well-being of the group be that a family or a, a tribe, a community, a nation even. It's sometimes too easy for me to forget that there are many ways to live this human life and that pursuing an individual path of self-exploration is not necessarily the best for everyone. And yet I do think that for many of us, the task of working towards a better relationship with ourselves, I do think that's a valuable path to pursue. And, and also I celebrate the arrival of psychology and psychotherapy and psychiatry. I think that has brought about a great flowering of awareness that has really changed our relatedness. I think it encourages a greater understanding of our multi-layered complexity, that there's more to us than we often imagine and that, and that we're not limited to kind of fixed ideas of ourselves. You know, there's labels that we were perhaps given or we created for ourselves in childhood and then never really quite, quite shook up. I mean, I'll be interested to hear if there's anybody here who doesn't have at least one label from childhood that's sticking around to this day for good or ill. You know the kinds of family stories. We might be the clever one or the sickly one or the messy one or the entertaining one. And we learn this habit of storytelling about ourselves and others early on. And then, unless we challenge ourselves or are challenged by others, we keep that habit and that label through life. But these are just stories and labels. I think one of the most fascinating things about us humans is our ability to change our minds and to expand fixed ideas of who we are. I mean, if you ever experienced it, you know, just simply by going on holiday or um, finding a new interest or a, a new friend or a new job, or simply by making a conscious effort to alter a habitual way of being, our identities then can start to feel a lot less fixed. We can gain new perspectives then and consider ourselves and everybody else in a different light. By loosening our hold on our fixed identity, we can start to expand, I reckon, into the creatures of infinite potential that we truly are. And one path to a new way of relating with ourselves is to listen more to our bodies. For our busy minds can often try and run the whole show, can't they? And treat our bodies as mere machines that we are proud of or cross with, in truth, we're all of a piece, 
and we need equal love and attention for our minds and our bodies. This is basic self-care. And though it, I mean, I've been doing a lot of work around the area of self-care and did a, a week's course at our summer school on that topic. And a certain amount of mocking came from some friends about it all being about scented candles and fancy body creams. But I maintain in truth that self-care for many of us is actually a radical and indeed a counter-cultural act. I mean, that's why I chose that Parker J. Palmer quote you might like to have a look at on the front of today's order of service. He's reminding us that self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Any time we can listen to true self and give it the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Great words there, I think, from Parker J. Palmer. And we each have different needs and concerns, don't we? What might be self-care for me might not be best for you, or what's needed now won't be needed next week. Now, I give us some examples. My periodic bouts of rest on the sofa. For example, they can move, I reckon, between a state of complete indolence to being the most sensible thing I can possibly do at that time. Or, or what about the slice of carrot cake? I think that is a very sensible treat sometimes. Another time is a very foolish choice, and I should have known better. Ditto, taking a hearty walk in the rain. That may be just what I need, or it may be a very foolish thing, and I should have taken an umbrella. So a question to ask might be, what would a good friend who knows me well say about this? whatever this is. This approach, it strengthens our ability to be compassionate to ourselves because we'll then be treating ourselves as a good friend would want us to. As that, well, that I think may be the most important work we can ever do, creating a sound, sound foundation for a life of love and justice, starting with ourselves and then radiating out to a world so in need of a bit more self-care. Amen. So in the week ahead, may each of us remember that we really are okay, just as we are. Let us feel the joy that comes from this acceptance. And once we've filled ourselves, let us pass that acceptance on to all those we meet. Let us experiment with the idea that everyone is okay, just as they are. Let us commit ourselves to be love finders, not fault finders. And know that we do this always for the greater good of all. Amen. Go well and blessed be.